Formula One back on U.S. soil with the Miami Grand Prix coming up this weekend. It is time to talk about car parks, fake water, sunshine, the growing U.S. audience for the sport, and of course the championship battle between Ferrari and Red Bull, and all the teams in between. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. We'll preview the Miami Grand Prix, the first of two races this season in the United States, and we'll go over the five things to watch out for this weekend. Plus, we've got track talk, which will take our first look at the circuit, which will run around Hard Rock Stadium, home of the Miami Dolphins. We'll also have our top five and bottom five from Imola. My name is Tony Desiri. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast. A little late this week, I was dealing with a stomach issue. I'm not going to talk about nauseating and all that other stuff. I mean, we'll save that for the fake water later on in the uh, in the show. All right, but the Miami Grand Prix is finally here, and it has been years in the works, and of course, it doesn't come without its own local controversy. It seems to happen a lot. So instead of running downtown near the water and more of a high-end part of the of Miami, the circuit was created around the football stadium in Miami Gardens. While it's technically not a, a car park circuit, like if you think about like Las Vegas in 1992, it, it's still a parking lot. I mean, they use one local road, I believe, and it's it's really well designed, but it is still around a football stadium. It is expected to be extremely fast, so it's got that going for it. It also arrives in the busy part of the sports calendar for the city. The Miami Heat's NBA team, number one seed in the Eastern Conference, currently in a playoff series with the Philadelphia 76ers. The NHL's Florida Panthers that play in Sunrise, Florida. They're the top team in the Eastern Conference, currently in the Stanley Cup playoffs, facing the Washington Capitals. The Miami Dolphins had wrapped up a draft the weekend before. The Miami Marlins are above 500 in the NL East in Major League Baseball. So this sport Formula One is really landing in the middle of a lot of sports news that is currently going on in the city right now. Now, it also came with some protest from locals who live around the Miami Gardens area who were concerned about the noise level, saying that it would be actually damaging. Their lawsuit to stop the race was obviously it did not land, but it once again brought up another long debated issue in sports about how events like this, whether it's a motor race, whether it's a music concert, whether anytime it's a one-time event thing, uh, How does that affect or not benefit the local economy? Nevertheless, it is another race here in America, and I am I am all here for that. There will be two races this season in my country, with three next year with the arrival of Las Vegas. Miami is a great city for Formula One, even if the circuit is not downtown and instead around a football stadium. And I know there are many critics around the world who do not see the pursuit of America as a Formula One destination, a worthwhile endeavor. I disagree. I think the growth of this sport in America has been remarkable. Formula One has raced in the U.S. many, many times. It's going to be the 11th different location for Formula One here in the United States. But it does feel like the sports environment for Formula One is more thriving than ever before. I know, again, thanks to Drive to Survive, but this this sport has been in this country many, many times, but I've never seen it like this. And I've been following Formula One since the 90s. I've never seen it like this where legitimate celebrities are talking about their interest and developing interest in Formula One. So what can we expect from the Miami Grand Prix this weekend? Let's discuss five things to watch out for. And number one, of course, top of the list, it's a brand new circuit. So last season, there were two brand new circuits, Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Neither had hosted Formula One races before. Qatar did have some open wheel races, so there was a little bit of information we could garner from that, but Jeddah was completely brand new without any data. And it's the same thing here. Simulator information is all we have. Drivers do seem pretty excited about what the track is going to offer in terms of its 
rapid speed, the opportunity to overtake. Plus, there is this marina with fake water. We'll get to that later. But this is going to be interesting because we don't have any traditional means to go by in terms of race strategy, how important qualifying may be. Uh, will the racing be good? Will it be dull? These, again, are unanswered questions right now. So the brand new circuit and how Formula One drivers are going to be racing it and how the teams are going to be planning around it is the number one thing to watch for this weekend. So Friday practice, Saturday qualifying should be really, really interesting to see what the teams are saying afterwards in terms of the way this track is adhering to the cars and what the cars are able to do on this circuit. All right, the second thing to watch out for, and that's Red Bull's momentum. Now, while the championship battle is not razor thin at this moment, uh, Red Bull did take a big bite out of Ferrari's lead at Imola with Verstappen claiming 34 points, a clean sweep during that weekend, winning the Grand Prix, the sprint race, fastest lap, all that. Charles Leclerc still leads by a nice 27-point margin. However, Red Bull has some serious momentum going to Miami after a 1-2 finish in Italy. Now, if Verstappen had been able to finish at both Bahrain and Australia, we'd have a much better championship fight on our hands. But if those reliability issues that Red Bull was experiencing have been figured out, Verstappen can use the rest of the season to start chipping away at Leclerc's lead and making a run at his second straight world championship. However, Ferrari still is the team to beat. Leclerc was really trying hard to make a move towards the front and Imola going with the soft tires before he spun out and had to settle for a P6. Right now, though, Red Bull has all the momentum as we head into round five. All right, number three, and that's McLaren's strong run. It was a podium finish for Lando Norris at Imola, coupled with a strong sprint race from Daniel Ricciardo, and it seems like McLaren is back on track after a disastrous outing to open up the season in Bahrain. Yes, Ricciardo did finish P18 at Imola after tangling up with Carlos Sainz on the opening lap, but the team is really starting to find some pace. They had brake issue troubles during Bahrain's testing, and the race really showed how bad that car was in the slow corners. Now, that wasn't the case in Saudi Arabia and Australia. Now, if you remember, when the team left Melbourne, they were kind of downplaying their good weekend in Australia by saying, oh, it's more of a circuit thing. The car is getting better. But Imola, that was kind of eye-opening. Both drivers qualified well on Friday. Both had good runs in the sprint race Saturday. That led to a podium finish for Norris. Now, I think Ricardo definitely had a top 10 car, if not for the crash with signs. Now, I know the bad weekend for Ferrari did elevate Norris at Imola, no doubt. But both cars were strong that weekend. And they have not done any real major upgrades yet. So let's see what they bring to Miami. But McLaren's had a good, strong run of late. Let's see if that continues down in South Florida. The fourth thing to watch out for is Lewis Hamilton. Now, I could have made this about Mercedes in general saying, all right, what about the porpoising issue and the struggles with the team and Total Wolf's comments and all that? But I'm going to leave it at a Lewis Hamilton watch because it's going to be about Hamilton. He struggled in Italy and so much that Wolf got on the radio and apologized to him, saying the car was not worthy of a seven-time world champion. He was lapped by Max Verstappen for crying out loud. It has been clear over the first four races that George Russell is getting way more out of that car than Hamilton is. He has beaten Hamilton in three of the first four races, has a 21-point lead over his teammate. But again, this is going to be about Hamilton because I don't think he has any chance of winning the championship. That's obvious. I mean, most of us feel that way, okay? But he does need to start getting some better results. 
Now, I'm sorry for the simplification for this, because I know there are way more complex issues on a Formula One team, the development of the car, the improvement of the car, all of those things. So, quote, just drive the car isn't really a, a proper response to this. But how much longer can Hamilton struggle in that car while his teammate is executing great overtakes and running in the top five? Now, don't get me wrong. I know George Russell has also complained of the porpoising and the bouncing around and how hard that's been on his neck and his chest. But the reality of it is, is that Russell is going out there and trying to get the best results. And Hamilton gets himself caught up in sort of the mid-train of the pack. And while, again, he had been in the points in the previous three races, it has not been an impressive season whatsoever. And Imola was just a struggle the whole weekend long. This race, the Miami Grand Prix, is once again going to be in front of a U.S. audience on network television. Many have not followed this sport, and many do not understand the complex nature of Formula One car development and all of the things that we've talked about on this podcast. He's come off one of the greatest championship fights in the sport's history, and a lot of people in the United States who are new to Formula One were watching that intensely. So, again, I, I want to see what he brings to Miami in front of an audience that's sort of expecting him to do well, but may not understand why this season he has not. And the fifth thing, and again, this is kind of an old thing, but I do bring it up occasionally because I do think it's important, and that is the audience here in the United States. I have been repeating this since I started this podcast. The main reason I'm doing it is because I've seen the explosion of this sport and the interest in the sports in the United States. I've been a fan of Formula One since the 1990s. I've never seen what I'm seeing now. I started this business in the early 90s, uh, getting into the radio business. One of my first beats was covering motorsports at the New Hampshire International Speedway. So I didn't know much about motorsports when I got out of college. So I had to get familiar with NASCAR and IndyCar and the other racing uh, entities that would come to the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. But I also developed an interest in Formula One because I made it all encompassing. I was reading everything that I could imagine. Even though Formula One wasn't coming to a racetrack near me, I was still very interested in what was going on in that particular sport. So I became a fan of it for a long time. But again, what Drive to Survive has done, and now the increased media attention has done, is allow this sport to grow in this country like never before. We're going to see Las Vegas on the calendar. That's going to give the U.S. three races, and those three races are going to be big, big deals. I hate to admit this, but there was a time in the past where Formula One would come to the United States and nobody seemed to care. I mean, look, I mean, we talk about the disaster of 2005, but I don't remember a lot of media attention of Formula One arriving to Indianapolis. But nevertheless, you're starting to see the real, real national attention that these races are getting when they start coming to the United States, whether it's Austin, now Miami and Las Vegas next season. This race is going to be on ABC, not ESPN. That's a big deal. It's a network broadcasting entity, right? It's an afternoon run on Sunday. There are two other races. There are two other races on the Formula One calendar that, that get that kind of network exposure here in the United States. Monaco and Austin. That's it. Everything else is on cable. This is going to be big for the U.S. audience. Naturally, I'm hoping the racing is going to be good. I'm hoping that it's good because when it's when Monaco is on TV, the racing is not good. It, the scenery is great, but the racing is not good. Um, but I hope that people who are watching this for the first time or started to develop an interest in this and starting to see uh, the U.S. audience, I'm, I'm really hoping the racing is good for them because I want them in two weeks' time to be watching in Barcelona. And I want them after that to be watching Monaco and down the road. I don't want this to be just a, it's in the U.S. thing, so let's watch it because it's in the U.S. thing. All right, so those are the top five things to watch for for the Miami Grand Prix, the inaugural running of the Miami Grand Prix. But what is the circuit all about? Let's get to our track talk segment. All right, Miami is going to be fast, very, very fast. There's three DRS zones. The circuit will run around Hard Rock Stadium, the home of the Miami Dolphins. It'll have a street circuit feel. There'll be 19 turns, three straights, counterclockwise run. 
minor elevation changes. There will be some despite, you know, overall flat ground in South Florida, but there will be some elevation changes in the circuit. There are going to be some unique features to this race outside of the track itself. And that one, there's one that's getting a lot of attention. And that is this Marina with the fake water. I've seen kind of all the jokes. I've seen all the memes, you know, I've seen the broadcasters try to, Oh, jump in the fake water and landing on like, what is like wood, you know, painted blue. Um, it, but this again, I, I, look, I'm not going to excuse this. I think it's, I think personally it's rather silly, but it is all part of presenting an image of Miami. Remember a lot of these races and wh- I don't even care what it is. It can be a race. It can be anything else that the city, um, wants to invite in. It's used a lot as a promotional vehicle for the city, right? Miami is a hot t- tourist destination. It wants to promote that. So it wants to present the glamorous side of Miami, but it is not in a glamorous location. It's held in Miami Gardens. It's not the glamorous spot of of South Florida. It is around a football stadium. And if you know anything about stadiums in the United States, not all of them, but most of them are built in areas that are, are less prosperous in the city than in other locations. But the promoters of this race really wanted to provide a Monaco-like feel to this Grand Prix, and that's the image they want to send, right? So again, I know it's boats on dry land with fake water, but when you have rich guests who are able to watch from a yacht, the fake water that that's there is sort of irrelevant. What they want is the image of the cars as they're making their way around that turn, and you, you get the camera shots of the people on the yacht. It doesn't matter if it's fake. It's an image that might Miami wants to present itself. The Miami Grand Prix wants to present about the city of Miami, right? It's luxurious. It's got a, it's got a rich European feel like Monte Carlo. That's what they're trying to do here. Another feature, this one freaked me out. I'm sorry. These, there's going to be hanging gondolas over the track, kind of like those, um, you know, those, the skyway you go on uh, ski trips and whatnot. They're going to be hanging over the track. They've got glass bottoms so guests can watch from a suspended view. I I can't believe the FIA approved this. I can't believe it. I mean, look, I know they're safe and I know they're engineered really well, but my God, to have a a, a bunch of people hang like suspended over a Formula One racetrack. Are you crazy? Uh, But it'll look good on TV and it'll it'll attract high dollars. So but I I, I couldn't get on board with this. I can laugh at the fake water. I think we can all laugh at the fake water. I get why they do it. This, please, come on. Let's let's not make, let's not make this Disney World, okay? Like I don't need rides going. Like I don't need. Hey, you know what? You want to go to a Formula One race and ride the Sky Tram while you while you go over the circuit? All right, let's not do that. I know, like other circuits have like Ferris wheels in the background and stuff, but like this is over the track. I think it's crazy. All right. Now, the main component of the circuit will be the speed. There are three areas where the top speed could go over 200 miles an hour. Two definitely will do that. The sweeping run from nine to 11 and then the long straight from 16 to 17. It is speed, speed, speed. By all accounts, it seems like there are going to be some good places for overtaking. Turn one looks like a good opportunity. 11 and 17 look like the best opportunities for overtaking. There is a chicane in there as well. Pirelli bringing the mid-range tires for this Grand Prix. C2 for the hard, C3 for the medium, C4 for the softs. It's new asphalt, so the track evolution will be pretty high the grand prix itself will go 57 laps uh still up in the air in terms of race strategy for this new circuit but again i'm really excited about what this weekend as we get more testing and drivers commenting on the track and teams really taking a look at the data what sunday in terms of race strategy is going to be 
All right, like we do in every single one of our preview segments for the race, we go back to the last Grand Prix and give you our top five and bottom five. So it's been about two weeks since we ran at Imola. But let's start with the bottom five, and then we get to the top performers of that weekend. All right, starting with number five, moving all the way to number one, I'm going to go with Daniel Ricciardo at number five. It was a P18 finish for the McLaren driver after he tangled up with Carlos Sainz. Very disappointing because he had a really strong run in the sprint race. Then he took out a Ferrari at Imola. Yikes. Duh. Signs did give him room at Tamarello, but Ricardo, during the wet conditions, went to the side of Signs that put him in the gravel. And props for Ricardo for going over to the Ferrari garage and apologizing. However, this was still his fault. It ruined what could have been a really good top 10 finish for McLaren. They had that good of a car uh, that weekend. All right, number four, Nicholas Latifi. I completely get why he's in Formula One. I get it. He's got a strong financial backing that he brings to the sport. Great. But my God, he, he's he's terrible. I, he's terrible. There are rumors that Williams could make a driver change this year, but that that just might be speculation and clickbait because Nicholas Latifi is an easy target for that kind of speculation. Right, so it's not really news. It's more like people opining that it could happen because anything could really happen. Of course, the new owners want both drivers strong in the car. Who doesn't, right? Um, but if this was any other driver that was struggling, I'd probably say, ah, I don't buy that. A mid-season change? Nah, it's too, that's too much. I wouldn't do that. Latifi, though, I think it's kind of believable. I got to be honest with you. It's kind of believable. I still don't think it'll happen, but it's a lot more believable than any other driver that may be struggling at this point. He finished P16 ahead of Mick Schumacher and Daniel Ricciardo in, at Imola. Ugh. All right, number three, Lewis Hamilton. I put him in the bottom five for this reason. You can make the argument that Total Wolf was right, that the car is undrivable. But George Russell is getting some results. So is that just a mind game that the team principal is playing? Hamilton had a terrible weekend. He qualified 13th on Friday for the sprint race. He finished P14 in that sprint race, and then P13 in the Grand Prix. He never moved up. He really didn't move down. He just kind of stayed mediocre. He was lapped by Verstappen for crying out loud. I think that's the second time I've said that in this podcast. Right? He found himself behind Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon. It was like some DRS train. No one was really able to move, so he couldn't get a real good run, couldn't really overtake. Uh, he was out of the points for the first time this season. Look, I'm not all doom and gloom on Hamilton. Don't get me wrong. He had a podium in, in the first race of the year. Um, he made a strong P10 running at Jeddah when he qualified terrible, didn't get out of Q, Q1. So listen, it, it, and he had a fourth place finish in Australia. So it's not like he's been middle of the pack, terrible in the back markers. He's not doing that. But this was a terrible weekend for him. Let's be honest. It was awful. It was awful. And when George Russell is getting that car near the front, I, somebody explained to me how Total Wolf is right by saying the car is undrivable because George Russell is taking an undrivable car and doing good things with it. All right, number four. All right, number two, Ferrari. It is always tough to deliver in front of the home fans. Always. I mean, anytime you're on some like tour where you're traveling in different locations, there's always going to be one location where somebody is the home team, right? Ferrari, it's two races that they have in Italy, Imola and Monza. And of course, the Tifosi want to see the Scuderia do really, really well. So they, they know that. Carlos Sainz, he got taken out in turn one, but it's not his fault. That's the second DNF in a row, though, for him. So I, I feel really bad for Carlos Sainz. Charles Leclerc spun out after taking softs to make a move up to the front. That was a pretty good strategic move by the team. It just didn't work out. He ended up P6. He earned 15 points for the weekend from the sprint race, but Max Verstappen earned 34. So that was a tough weekend indeed for Ferrari. Hey, I call it good and bad, so it wasn't a very good weekend for Ferrari. Number one, though, and we're going to have some fun with this. And that's Kevin Magnuson. And here's why. 
hear me out on this. Cause I know you're probably thinking Kevin Magnuson. I tried last season. If you heard this podcast last year, I tried last season to keep Haas out of the bottom five, every race. Cause they weren't competitive and they knew they weren't competitive and they had two rookie drivers. And I was like, I, I could do Haas every weekend. I, so I'm not going to do that. This low hanging fruit. But then K-Mag came along, replacing Nikita Mazepin, and he changed the game. Okay, he changed the game. I expect him now to have good races. I expect him now to have good weekends. Now, he qualified fourth for the sprint race. Fourth. He started the Grand Prix P8. He ended up the Grand Prix P9. All right, so it was a weekend where he was going backwards. Normally, I wouldn't care. Normally, I would be, eh, you know, whatever. He's a Haas driver, for crying out loud. But he set the bar, so I'm just going to deliver it. It was disappointing. He couldn't hold off George Russell, Sebastian Vettel. Uh, Valtteri Bottas did start ahead of him, but he couldn't even get close to him enough to make it really interesting. Uh, we are still pulling for him because we love K-Mag and we love Haas. And we're still pulling for the team. But I call it as I see it. And Kevin Magnuson is in my bottom five. All right, let's get to the top five real quick before we wrap up this podcast. Uh, number five on the list, Aston Martin. Hey, double points stay for that team. Only two were able to say that. The other team was Red Bull. It was, and they were one, two on the podium. So Mike Crack was absolutely correct. There's only two of us that did it, us and Red Bull. Good run for Sebastian Vettel. I mean, again, he had COVID at the beginning of the year, didn't have a lot of seat time in the car, went to Australia. All right, you know. He's getting getting his feet wet in the new machine, uh, but then he gets a top 10 finish. And then Lance Stroll had some really good on-track battles. He got a P10 out of the deal, too, so a double point stay for Aston Martin. And again, good credit to them. They're number five on my top five. Number four, George Russell. Great P4 finish for the Mercedes driver. After, again, Toto Wolf had to apologize to the other guy about how bad the car was. Ugh. Russell went into Imola second in points. Uh, but And he has beaten Hamilton in three of the four races this season. He had a podium in Australia. He did hold off Valtteri Bottas, the man he replaced in that car. That was a really good, that was a really fun track battle. Remember those two at Imola last year where, my God, I thought they were going to kill each other? Russell is showing why the change for Mercedes was the right choice. All of those years that he spent at Williams, holding back this incredible talent. And now we are really starting to see it come to fruition. And I'm here for it. I love George Russell and I'm glad he's doing really well in a car that's undrivable, by the way. I can't, I can't stop repeating that. Number three on our top five, bottom five, that's Valtteri Bottas. I'm going to give him ahead of George Russell because he turned a P7 start into a P5 finish. Now that can be explained to the fact that both Ferraris finished behind him with their own trouble. But nevertheless, it was a really good day for, for Bottas. He had his best finish of the season. Again, couldn't quite catch Russell towards the end, but man, those two made it really fun. They even said so afterwards that it was really fun. So I like to see good, clean racing. I like to see it uh, turn into a, a fun battle, especially when Verstappen and Perez are way ahead of the field. And that's what we got towards the end of that Grand Prix. Number uh, two, and that is, this is no surprise, it's Lando Norris. Another Imola podium for Norris. He had one last year. Another good run for McLaren. Uh, they're really starting to show that they've got some pace. I know Ricardo finished P18, as I talked about earlier, but both cars did really well that weekend to showcase what they have. Uh, Lando, I mean, he's a very popular driver. You feel like he's going to win one of these someday and someday soon. Uh, maybe down in Miami, who knows? But again, it, McLaren hasn't made any major upgrades yet, and yet they're finding their groove on this car. So Lando Norris, you're the second one on the top five, but the number one's going to Max 
Max Verstappen. That's obvious. It was a clean sweep of the weekend. He defended the championship, winning an Imola last year. He won in dominating fashion. He won, uh, started from pole position. He won the sprint race after a little bit of a shaky start in that race. He won the Grand Prix in dominating way. His teammate was right behind him. It was the best Red Bull day in the history of the team because previously they have not been able to get points for a sprint race, given that it is a new entity. They finished 1-2 for the first time since 2016 in Malaysia. I mean, you can't ask for a better weekend for Red Bull, and you can't ask for a better weekend for Max Verstappen. He took what was looking like a very insurmountable lead for Charles Leclerc, and he bit it down a bit, right? Again, I know it's still 27 points, but those can change in one weekend. I mean, that can, that can, that can, we could leave Miami with this thing really, really tightened up, depending on what happens to Charles Leclerc in this Grand Prix. If Max Verstappen wins and there's a DNF for Leclerc, we're going into Barcelona with a two-point difference. I mean, depending on fastest lap and all that. So you never know. All right, so that's our top five, bottom five from Imola. All attention now on Miami and the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. I am very excited. Again, I love seeing the U.S. audience. I love the fact that it's going to be on network television. And I like the fact that there's going to be a lot of media attention. Guys who are going to be paying attention to the NBA, NHL, what's going on, Major League Baseball, all of that. we got the Kentucky Derby coming up on Saturday. So it's kind of a busy sports calendar. But nevertheless, a lot more people are paying attention to Formula One. Good Morning America had, had Lewis Hamilton on. Trevor Noah had Daniel Ricciardo on. You saw Verstappen and Perez throw out the first pitch at Marlins Park the other day, and I'm pretty excited. I mean, after all, I mean, it's finally seeing some fruits of the labor for Formula One here in the United States, and, and I'm glad for it. I mean, you had 140,000 people in Austin last season. I'm expecting a huge crowd and huge attention this upcoming weekend. My radio show that I do Monday through Friday on the Sports Map Radio Network, we don't get to talk a lot about Formula One, but this week we are because, again, the fake water, but the rising interest in the sport. But we will be back early next week for a complete review of the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. Please subscribe to the channel. We would love your uh, five-star review. If you like what we're doing, it really helps us grow. You can also find me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. We'd love to hear from you there as well. All right, I'm Tony Desiri. Enjoy the Miami Grand Prix from Miami Gardens down in South Florida this weekend, and we will be back next week. This is the Overtake F1 podcast.